0: Today, I'm going to tell you about how there was almost a Shrek-like franchise, but holiday-themed.
1: Today, I have a heartwarming story from a very cold place about a husky named Steve. Today,
2: I have a story that some might describe as mushy.
3: What does all this have to do with the word polar? find out in this episode of History Bluffs. Welcome to History Bluffs. It's where truth is stranger than fiction. And now I want to welcome to the stage, it's your host, it's Adri.
4: Hello, hello. The History Club's. My name is Adrienne. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We have a very exciting show for you. But first, before we get into all the rules and the this and the that, let's say hello to our uh, our wonderful historians that are joining us tonight. We've got Carlos and Darren and Drew. How are you guys doing tonight?
0: Good. Awesome. Good. Doing good. Ready. Just to a quick go.
4: question for you guys. Now, Darren, I know that you've actually been to Antarctica. I have. Did you do a polar plunge while you were there?
1: I did not because I'm not stupid.
4: Okay, excellent. Good answer. Drew, you look like you're currently in Antarctica. Are you there?
2: Uh, It's just like Michigan.
4: Okay, okay. (laughs) Perfect. I know you're in Chicago. Is it actually that cold?
2: Um, It is. uh, Compared to where you are, I'd say yes. It was in the 30s today. Very very chilly. I got my thick socks on.
4: Ooh, Carlos, are you wearing your thick socks too? Thick
0: socks for a thick boy.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, you know what? You, you don't have to be in the Antarctic or the Arctic. Uh, sorry, sorry, Darren. You don't have to be in the Arctic to do a polar whatever, jump in the, we, they, they're polar bear clubs here in Chicago, as Drew, I'm sure, can attest to.
4: That's yeah. true. Isn't it uh, January 1st or December 26th, something like that?
0: I think it's whenever you want to jump in the lake sounds good the to polar me Bear Club. I know I know that they get together to do it but I think it's whenever you want to do
4: it I Man. guess so yeah as long as the weather's cold it's I guess polar-y Anyways, I didn't do it I, I went
1: a... in the lake when it was 70 degrees so oh, kind of in the club yeah nope. that's cold enough
4: for me for nope. sure but so if you guys haven't gotten the clue the theme for this week the topic is polar and um, Adam our wonderful tech in the background would Hello. you mind showing us our rules for the day
3: Oh, that's right. It is a game show, isn't it? And when a game show, you have to have some rules. For those of you listening to our audio version of this episode, I'm going to read the rules to you. We only have a few of them. Rule number one, the historians are inspired by our topic, polar. Rule number two, the stories are factual if they are one of the two true storytellers here. But if their story is the bluff story, which it's a mystery until the end of the reveal at the end, if they are bluffing, their story is completely fictional, with the, of course, caveat that macaroni exists and dogs bark. Uh, The main narrative of their story has to be fictional, um, peppered with, you know, surrounded by little facts, as it were. And finally, there is no audience help in the form of Googling. Don't ruin the story for us. No, if you Google what the real story is about that someone's telling, do not spoil it for the other audience members. And those are the rules, Adri.
4: I love it. Thank you so much for going through that. Don't spoil it for the others, but please participate if you can. One of the things that isn't mentioned on those rule cards is that each uh, historian is going to have 60 seconds and three rounds each to tell their full story. Now to track each round, we have something called a round tracker that Adam is going to put right up here above our heads. That's going to track each round that we're in as we go through it. And we're going to mix up the order a little bit, keep things fresh and exciting. But that's basically all the rules that you need to know for tonight's show. Now, that being said, Adam, are you ready to go into round one?
3: I am so ready. Let's do it. Let's go to round number one. Here we are.
4: Excellent. Carlos, how do you feel about going first tonight?
0: I feel good.
4: All right, let's do it. Let's get you in the center. You're going to have 60 seconds when you hear the uh, boom. You're free to go.
0: All right. Okay, I want to tell you about the movie Polar Express, and I know we all know Polar Express, and it's this nice movie with weird, dead-eyed people, and it's mainstay (laughs) of the holidays now, but Polar Express was almost made as a comedy, and not the nice, traditional family fair it is. It was almost made in the spirit of Shrek, actually. Now, this begins, Polar Express, whole story. We're going to go back a little bit uh, to the 80s. We're going to go back to the 80s, and we're going to start with a man named Philip Allsberg. And he wrote a book called Jumanji, and some of you may be familiar with it. And this was back in the early 80s. He wrote this, and now eventually Jumanji was, of course, optioned into a movie and it was a big comedy starring Robin Williams, and it did great. Now, the thing is, this guy, Osberg, he also wrote Polar Express. So fast forward to the mid to late 90s, Manji's killing it, in 95, so the studios are like, hey, what
4: else do you got that
0: we can make it to a great movie? Dot, dot, dot.
4: Interesting. Now I only saw a little bit of the Polar Express because I got bored and fell asleep. So for me it's more like the Polar Espresso. Am I right? Oh. True. Oh, 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 oh. yes. What are your <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh on, yeah, on I, uh,
2: I have not seen this movie, so I don't know much about Polar Express. Uh, now if it was Panda Express I would know a lot. But um, so far, I I, this is all just new to me. Okay, (laughs)
4: fair enough. Darren, what are your thoughts? Uh,
2: I can totally see the
1: Hollywood pitch room where this is happening. And they're like, it's going to be voiced by Tom Hanks and it's going to be the follow on to Bosom Buddies. Ah. Perfect, perfect (laughs) movie.
4: Hmm. Okay, but I don't know what the Bosom Buddies is, but I like that. You know, it sounds good together, bosom buddy. You're not
0: old like we are. I mean, <laughs> I am, though. Fun fact, Peter Scolari did get a role in what eventually became Polar Express. He got a small part. So Tom Hanks looked out for his bosom buddy. No way.
3: Wow, I did not know that. See, I'm learning well, here at History Bluffs.
4: I might have to give the movie another shot now, and the bosom buddy movie, whatever that is. Uh, let's move on to our second historian <laughs> of the night. Darren, are you ready for round one? i am all right you have 60 seconds when you hear the boom you're good to go
1: the year was 1957 it was the international geophysical year and everyone was running around doing loads of science the soviets got in the spirit as adam noticed by launching a little thing called sputnik and then the americans followed up with their own satellite that they called explorer one Another joint team of British and American scientists surveyed the ridges in the ocean floors and confirmed Wegener's 1912 theory of continental drift, which we now call plate tectonics. And anybody who had a team of Huskies and a few tins of Bovril set up a base in Antarctica, talking Aussies, Japanese, Soviets, Americans, French, and even Belgians set up bases. But my story focuses on a British base called Ice Base W, which I know it totally sounds like a place you'd find in a James Bond novel. And it is here at Ice Base W where my story begins and where we will first meet Steve, the husky dog.
4: Ooh. Ice, ice puppy. All right. Drew, what are your thoughts on Darren's first round?
2: Um... Continental Drift is my favorite of the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, that's the first thing takeaway I have. Um, uh, it was all making sense until he he added in even the Belgians. Um, now, that's come on, Darren. That's just taking a little bit too far. Even the Belgians. <laughs> yeah.
4: Carlos, what do you think?
0: Well, first of all, what I think is why does Darren get uh, sound effects from Adam? Uh, I didn't know we could do that to help us. I think in a previous episode, Darren had props, and now in this episode, he's getting free sound effects. That seems like the fix is in. Number one. Number two, no dog is named Steve. I call immediate BS. <gasps> you say team of Huskies? That makes sense because there's a lot of dog poop happening right now in your story. That's all I have
2: to say. Oh,
4: wow. those are fighting words, but I'm here for it. Amazing. All right, Drew, how do you feel about going in your round one?
2: Um, I don't think I have a choice, so I'm okay.
4: ready. <laughs> Excellent. No choice. Round one, 60 seconds. When you hear the boom, Go.
2: Okay, so every March in Alaska, teams from all over the world compete in the annual Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race. The Iditarod, as it's more commonly uh, called, attracts one in 100 participants and their teams of between 14, uh, 12 to 14 dogs. The drivers, or mushers, include men and women competing against each other. In 1967, a short 25-mile race was held as an exhibition to commemorate the centennial celebration of the Alaska Purchase. By 1973, the race had evolved to its current format, starting in Anchorage and ending in Nome. The total distance today is roughly 1,100 miles. Now, every musher has a different tactic and special menu for feeding their dogs, and they have different strategies. Some race during the day and some race at night. The first race in 73, the winner was Dick Wilmarth, with a time of 20 days, 49 minutes, and 41 seconds. The record is in 2017, Mitch Seavey, 8 days, 3 hours, 40 minutes, and 13 seconds.
4: Wow. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Alaska. It's absolutely beautiful, but also a lot like Alabama. So <laughs> heed that warning. Wow. Um, Carlos. What are your thoughts on Drew's
0: first round? Let's see, Drew's first round and uh, cold Alabama. Uh, okay, a couple of things. How do you say you can have 12 to 14 dogs? That doesn't seem fair at all. It's like pick a number, and that's what races do. <laughs> they, they pick exact specifications so that everyone has an equal shot. So it's ridiculous that some race would allow a variable. Also, I think he went like, oh, they did start at 25 miles. Now it's 1,100 that is a huge jump that's insane that the race says you know 25 1100 same difference that's a completely different thing then and then he's throwing a couple of years he said it started in 1956 i think but then he says 1973 you know what adri i did a rod more like he did a fib
4: oh wow do I hear an official accusation or are we not accusationing?
0: Yeah.
4: I... You're muted.
2: That's...
4: You muted yourself.
2: I just assumed
4: <laughs> that was. Special. He's a flipper, <laughs> Uh Darren, did we hear from you on Drew's first round?
1: No, uh, but what I'm picturing right now is very similar. Like, I'll do an 1100 mile trip with a special menu. Uh, and they'll be dogs, but they're all uh, seeing eye dogs and emotional support animals because I'm on an airplane in business class. Oh, wow, well, yeah. Oh.
4: Wow, business class. Why don't you brag a little bit?
3: Well, I'm in the <laughs> well, bagel- the food is a lot I'm like steerage. dog food sometimes. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-six thousand feet. No one can hear you. You get no, food.
4: Yeah. <laughs> you get food for free. Yeah. Those are um, business dogs
1: and
3: bathrooms.
4: Oh man, that's lucky. Well, that wraps up our round one. All three oh, contestants does. have gone through. They did each sixty seconds each, And now we're ready to move on to round two.
3: Oh, let's do it. Let's go to round number two. And here we are back from our break.
4: <laughs> <laughs> for this round, we're gonna start with Darren. Darren, would you please come to the center? You're gonna Ooh, okay. have sixty seconds for this round. And when you hear the boom, you're set to go.
1: Okay. So Steve and a couple dozen other Huskies accompanied the British contingent of 10 hardy souls who set up camp on detail Island and nearby horseshoe Island, both of which are off the coast of the Antarctic peninsula in late 1957. They brought with them prefabricated houses, stoves, fuel oil, generators, sleds, radios, and. Of course, enough food to survive for up to two years. And it's a good thing too, because in 1958, the sea ice closed in around Detail Island and the resupply ship was unable to land with more supplies. They rode out the winner, supplementing their food with seal meat. Wasn't a favorite of the men, but the dogs didn't mind. Uh, So 1958 came and went, but the sea ice didn't. So in 1959, the decision was made to abandon Detail Island, and the whole crew sledded across the sea ice to meet their rescue ship. But as they loaded the dogs aboard, Steve broke loose, and he ran off, and had to be left behind.
4: Oh <gasps> no! No,
3: not Steve! No! Yeah, poor Steve. It's better sea have a happy ice? ending.
4: More like not ice. Drew, what are your thoughts on uh, Darren's first?
3: (laughs) I missed a rim shot. I'm so sorry. I'm coming in from behind with it. Boom, there you go. I'm so sorry. I missed that one.
1: Did you put me on not ice, on notice? Oh, God. No,
3: that's.
0: There
3: it is. I got you, you, Carlos.
2: I
4: got you. I'm so sorry. Drew, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, two things. Uh, detail island. Um, I, I want to hear more details about detail island. Um, and then uh, it sounds like I mean, I'm just guessing I need to hear more, but it sounds like Steve, uh, just he got a taste of that seal meat and he didn't want to leave. You know, that's what they say. You taste the seal, you go, you, you don't, don't go back. So.
3: <laughs> that's that's exactly what they say, about exactly that. what they
2: say. <laughs> No,
4: That's what Heidi Klum said, and then she did in fact not go back.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh God! No,
4: I'm sorry.
3: Awesome, you went to you you Klum'd, You went to Klum.
4: I clumed, Yeah, that,
0: that's
3: a deep cut.
0: That's a deep.
4: <laughs> Carlos, what are your what are your what's going on up there?
0: Uh this is tough because on the one hand, like like Drew said, Detail Island. That's such an odd name for it, especially next to Horseshoe Island. Horseshoe Island is a very creative name. And then you have Detail Island, like this person stopped trying. So it's hard to believe that this is a fake story (laughs) with that kind of, you know, pun intended detail. Uh, So it makes me lean towards maybe thinking that uh, Darren may be telling the truth.
3: Wow. How
4: about that? There's also a Paul Walker movie that sounds a lot like this. With a dog, they're down there and they're doing the whole dog thing. And one of the dogs gets out, but I can't pinpoint if it's uh, the same story. So we're talking
0: about Snow Dogs or is that it?
4: Or eight I below. remember which one's
0: Walker slum and, dogs. Which one, and which one is Cuba gooden Jr. And I think Cuba uh, Gooden Jr. Are snow Dogs. <laughs> so Walker's is the other one with the okay. dog. Okay, yeah,
4: that's
2: it. <laughs> we gotta get them straight. Yes. I thought you said I thought you said paw walker and it still works. Oh, oh geez. It's much oh, cuter though. Yes. I like that. There it, there it is. Hey, I'm back, baby.
3: <laughs> oh,
4: All right. So we got uh Darren, round one is done. Drew, you are up. Let's come to the center. And when you hear the sixty I'm sorry, when you hear the boom, you got sixty seconds to say your round two.
2: Uh, the Iditarod serves as an important event honoring the history of Alaska and its people. The portions of the trail were first mapped by Russian fur traders in the 1800s, but there's proof that the, uh, the route had been used by native Alaskan people for hundreds of years prior. The trail reached its peak in the late 1880s and the mid-1920s thanks to coal mining and the Alaskan gold rush. Roadhouses and trading posts soon popped up all along the trail, and mushing was the primary transportation and communication link to the outside world, uh, especially in the winter when the steamships could not handle the frozen waterways. The first major competition was 1908 All Alaska Sweepstakes, organized by Alan Scotty Alexander Allen. That race was 408 miles round trip. But perhaps the most famous use of the trail happened in 1925. I'm going to tell you about that famous event in my next round.
4: All right. I just want to make sure I I, I didn't mentally check out. Was his name Allen Scotty Alexander Allen?
0: He said Scotty Allen Alexander Allen. That's what he said.
2: Oh, no. (laughs) Just clear that up.
0: We what have someone it? in this show, not tonight, but we have someone in this group named Scott Allen. So I'm, I'm thinking there might be a Kaiser Soze scenario happening. <laughs> <out> there. <laughs> there. it is. It could be happening right
3: before the I just wanted so to
4: make sure I wasn't mentally checking out. Carlos, do you have anything else you want to add?
0: Yeah, Russian fur traders, more like Drew's rushing through this BS story. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh,
0: did you say all alaskan sweepstakes what that's a, that's ridiculous that's not a race name that's not a race name that's like a prize contest name when you get magazines from alaska that's what that is i call fake.
4: <laughs> okay and Derry, what do you think
1: i think you're going to need a lot more than 14 scotties to pull your sled they're really tiny oh, dogs. A <laughs> you're gonna need like 500 scotties
0: <laughs> you, or you need three steves <laughs>
4: Oh,
1: i mean they're like that big
4: uh,
3: what's the conversion to carl's on that i don't know yeah. I, i'll <laughs> do sorry. the math after the show okay very good
4: <laughs> perfect carlos are you ready for your round two ready to go let's do it put you in the center when you hear the boom you get 60 seconds When
0: you're ready. Thank you. Okay, so let's jump ahead to the late '90s, early aughts. Okay, so Castle Rock's production company that optioned *The Polar Express* because they also did *Jumanji*, Uh, and like I said, they wanted to make it into a comedy. One of the film's producers, a producer named Charlie Wessler, he worked with Peter Farrelly of the Farrelly Brothers, so he was able to wrangle them in and say, "Hey, I want you to direct and write." this but you know turn it from this children's book into like a star studded comedy because Charlie Wessler you know knew a lot of folks in Hollywood and wanted us to be like if if, it, if Jumanji did so great with you know Robin Williams and other stars but Robin Williams imagine we get a bunch of talent in this so he was talking about you know, let's get, like, prominent roles for a bunch of people. Like, they were going to give Hugh Jackman a prominent role, but they were talking about, let's throw in Kate Winslet, Halle Berry, Ben Stiller, Ian McKellen, Renee Zellweger, Adam Sandler, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the Fairley brothers, though, were thinking, well, we, we like, well, what if we pick one guy and maybe just have Robin Williams come back and just do this, but a lot
4: of different voices. Okay. A lot of name-dropping there. Darren, what are your thoughts about all those name droppings?
1: A lot of name droppings, and you know, speaking of droppings, they remind me of like dog droppings in their (laughs) truthfulness.
0: I I was wondering how long it would take you to connect that. As soon as I heard agents (laughs) say name droppings, I'm like, there it is. (laughs) There it
1: is. Not
0: necessary, Adam. (laughs) I never get to use the splat. I'm going to
3: use it. (laughs) <laughs> it would be frozen oh
4: that's true cold. yeah hmm. that is true drew what are your thoughts
2: yeah I, I i he did drop a lot of names and i i picked up that at least three of those names i heard hugh jackman i heard Halle berry and i heard ian mckellen and i think uh, he's telling us like the x-men uh story not Polar Express. So,
0: Polar, Polar, Polar Express. X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm yeah.
2: There. So <laughs> that that stood out to me as as you know suspect.
4: All right. We've got a suspect. Is anyone ready to make an accusation, like a full-on accusation, or are there still some hesitations there?
0: Hmm. Hmm. I need to hear a little bit more from those two before I decide which one of them is the bluff right okay all right well luckily we have another round
4: yeah it's either going to be a dog or a dog for carlos
0: that's true
4: adam we're ready to go to round three whenever you are
3: okay let's do it we're going to hear from our contestants once more in round number three and we're back back here at the polls
4: those breaks just enough time to smoke a cigarette or something
3: i'll tell you what i read a book how how was your break okay (laughs) anyway back to to the show
4: back to the show we're in round three (laughs) yay and this is the round where everything comes together and we can all make accusations at liberty we're going to start with drew drew you're going to get 60 seconds again and this is where you're going to wrap it up whenever you hear the boom you're ready to go
2: Okay. Late 1924, Nome, Alaska only had one doctor, Dr. Curtis Welch. Uh, he discovered that the hospital's entire batch of diphtheria ant- antitoxin had expired. He had ordered more, but the shipment did not arrive before the port was closed for the winter. Sure enough, a diphtheria epidemic broke out. This led to the 1925 serum run to Nome, also known as the Great Race of Mercy. 20 mushers and about 150 dogs transported the life-saving serum to Nome, covering 674 miles in five and a half days. The story made headlines across the US and the dogs were hailed as heroes. The most famous dog was Balto. He led the final stretch into Nome. He had several statues, including one in Central Park in New York City. Another dog, Togo, perhaps deserves more credit He led the team through the most dangerous part and covered 261 miles to Baltos 55. He finally got a statue in
4: 1997. Wow, for the sake of humanity, I hope that you're not bluffing um, because that's a really sweet story. Anyways, Carlos, can I get your opinion on Drew's story?
0: Yeah, it's a very sweet story. And it's mm. ironic that I'm talking about an animated story because so is Drew. Balto's a cartoon, dude. <laughs> and once again, he he changed the year. He said he he's talking about I did it right. He said it started in fifty-six, and he changed it to seventy-three, and now he's saying nineteen twenty-four. What are we talking about right now?
4: Yeah. Like there a were a lot of dates.
0: He's talking about an animated movie with Kevin Bacon as a cartoon movie. (laughs) Not real life.
4: Drew, do you have anything (laughs) you want to say to defend yourself and your story and your glory?
2: Um, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon was also in one of those X-Men movies. (laughs) Was he?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine because I am talking about movies.
1: Uh, (laughs) Wasn't he in Polar Express? Probably.
3: (laughs) Nine (laughs) Degrees. Kevin Bacon was the train. Yeah.
4: Uh, Darren, what do you think? What's your opinion on I think on it's Drew? awfully
3: convenient that
1: the, the hook of his third segment involves the sea ice closing in around the port and closing it down. And the only thing you can do is sled there, which is exactly Ooh. what happened in part two of my story.
0: Huh. Oh. So is that, that an accusation? Familiar. Yeah, I think Drew's Tiger of- your so saying like a different story. I think so, too. <laughs>
4: Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, Carlos, you're up next. I'm excited to hear your last bit of storytelling. Uh, you're in the center. So when you hear the boom, you have 60 seconds.
0: Yes. I'm going to complete my story about a movie. So, <laughs> all right. So there was difference of opinions. This Charlie Wessler wanted to have a star-studded cast. The so Farrelly brothers were like, no, we want to... You know, Robin Williams was in Jumanji and he's interested in this project and he can do a bunch of different characters. So let's let him do a bunch of different characters instead of like, you know, getting it all messy. Now, they really never could come to an agreement. And eventually the Farrelly brothers went on to do another project. And uh, and also the author, Allsberg, he was like, hey, you know, Jumanji was great. But, you know, I I don't want to lose the the message of the book. And I do want something that's more of a holiday mainstay. So because of all these different factors, eventually the movie went over to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers picked it up and they got Zemeckis. But Zemeckis kept the idea of one actor doing a bunch of voices like uh, Tom Hanks. And he kept the idea of making it animated instead of live action. And now we have the Polar Express, which may or may not also include Kevin Bacon. It does include the other guy from Bosom Buddies.
4: Okay, back to the Bosom Buddies, uh, Darren. <laughs> let's get your opinion on Carlos's uh, third and final round.
1: So Carlos is trying to tell us that like somebody will write a, a beloved book and it'll go to Hollywood and like producers and people will just put in their own weird ideas and mess the whole thing up. Uh, that just believe. that seems
2: hard to believe. <laughs>
4: drew what do you think
2: um yeah this is uh um it went to warner brothers so like uh took i mean just went from the, the Farley brothers i know like they're they have a, a track record of like some pretty raunchy uh films and then suddenly it goes to zemeckis and but warner brothers um they, don't they aren't they the ones that have the the frog that uh that sings hello my baby um I don't know where I'm going with
0: that. Referring it's, to um, Michigan J. Frog. <laughs>
2: Michigan J. Frog. So um, that makes me think of Looney Tunes, which makes me think of that's all folks. And I think this story is, is bull. Frog.
4: Full circle. I see wow. what you did there.
3: Wow. that's That's <laughs> impressive.
4: <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, on that note, I think we're ready for our third oh, and God. final historian for round three. That's gonna be Darren. Uh, Darren, come into the center and when you're ready, or actually when you hear the boom, then you're ready, you're gonna have 60 ah. seconds, get it done.
1: Okay, so the men were heartbroken. They they loved all the dogs and of course they loved Steve, but they had no choice when they boarded their ship to sail to a second British base at nearby Horseshoe Island. Uh, with two crews now staying at Horseshoe, the new quarters were cramped, but you know the men just got back to work uh, doing science and continuing the important things they started because it's the International Geophysical Year, even though it's two years later, it's it's a long story. But what we don't know is if the men thought about going back to rescue Steve. We do know that during the winter, the two islands became connected by an ice bridge and that the two British bases were about 100 kilometers apart. So maybe it would have been possible to mount a rescue. But what we'll also never know is how Steve knew the way to Horseshoe Island because three months later, everyone was astounded when Steve, alive and healthy, ran over the hill to Horseshoe Island. Uh, They figured out later that maybe he survived on an old pile of seal meat from which the dogs had been fed. Or maybe Steve had watched Lassie come home.
4: Wow. I got to be honest with you. I was most intrigued in your story during this round when you said they were doing science. Love that. We're doing, we're doing storytelling. So this is all adding up. Carlos, let's get your thoughts your final thoughts on this round on Darren's uh, story.
0: The first thing Darren talked about was Sputnik. So I don't know how the hell we got to Steve the dog on Horseshoe (laughs) Island. But but more Bear. importantly, Darren made it clear. Darren, you said that these were British people, right? You said British.
1: That's right, British.
0: Okay, no. so but their dog's name was Steve and not Stephen or Stephen? No. That's where you failed, my friend. That's, That's the where you line... failed. That uh, British would not have a dog named Steve. Americans would, not Brits. Ah,
3: Jacques Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Ooh, we have oh, a oh, oh, as the Belgians would say. <laughs> <Wait a> second. <laughs>
4: All right, Drew, what are your thoughts?
2: Okay, so uh, 1957, this was, uh, what was it, the geophysical summit? Geophysical was, year. Your geophysical year. And then Darren uh, said, oh, now it was like two years later, but it was still the the geophysical year. And he kind of brushed that off like, you know, nothing, don't worry about it. Uh, But I'm worried about it because we're on an island. There's suddenly, like, time travel involved. And, (laughs) you know, I know of another island, where they had time travel. And that was the TV show Lost. And you know what was on Lost uh, that he couldn't uh, account for? was a polar bear ended up on this tropical island. So I feel like... There's something here with these islands are connected.
4: <laughs> there it is. There it is. Full circle.
3: It's like extend and Kevin plays the island. Kevin Bacon.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. Well-
1: played by Tom Hanks. Of course <laughs> that. That's a natural fit.
3: That's a natural fit.
0: Voiced by uh, Tom Hanks.
4: So, Adam, I don't know if you can see, but we've got the round tracker completely filled, which means our stories are complete. And we are ready to make accusations, a final accusation from each historian. Jack Hughes. Carlos, let's start with you at the bottom. Who do you think is this week's bluff?
0: I mean, there's... You know drew rambled on and on and went to a bunch of different places with a bunch of different years but that may just be because he's a confused person <laughs> and this balto even though it is absolutely a cartoon movie maybe it's based on the truth and i cannot I, I i'd rather believe that balto is based on a true story than that a bunch of british scientists would name a dog steve oh okay that is the least <laughs> likely of the two so i should choose darren friend of steve Fake name. I like it's a it. Real name.
4: A lot of logic behind it for sure. Darren, <laughs> let's go to you. So we've got one accusation for you. Who do you accuse to be the bluff this week?
1: Well, to be honest, Carlos's story about a bunch of producers messing up a beloved Hollywood or potentially messing up a beloved Hollywood movie just sounds so ordinary that I it's gotta be fake. Right. I mean, like, yeah, no, there's no reason to not believe it. So it's got to be false. So I, I accuse Carlos.
4: That is a tactic. So we've got one vote for Darren, one vote for Carlos. Drew, are you going to be the tiebreaker? Well, you are going to be the tiebreaker. So who are you?
2: Yeah. um, You know, and honestly, I could could flip a coin because, yeah. Now, just if I was looking at my notes, I would say that, Darren's story has the most room for um, uh, suspicious content, Uh, but then Carlos, you know, that whole name-dropping thing um, just stood out to me. Um, So you know what? I'm gonna just say... I could flip a coin, but you know what? I want to believe Steve is a true, true story, so I'm gonna say Carlos is also the bluff.
4: Wow. Okay, so we've got two votes for Carlos, one vote for Darren, zero votes for Drew, which means if Drew is the bluff, Drew wins the show
3: today. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> He'd get away scot-free if it was Drew.
4: Those are high stakes. High I stakes. think we're ready to find out. Adam?
3: All right, Adria, I'll have you step off of our virtual stage, and I'm going to line up our perpetrators. We have our three historians up on deck. Who could it be? Who was your bluff tonight? Was your bluff Darren? Was your bluff Drew? Getting away scot-free, if so. Or was your bluff Carlos? I shall reveal the bluff. This whole show, it was Carlos. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. And nobody guessed me.
0: <laughs>
3: oh <my God>. uh, <laughs> you know, No yeah. one
0: figured it out.
3: N- not a soul. Not a soul. If you don't count, Darren and Drew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It
1: was not you. I don't.
4: <laughs> was it the name dropping? That, for me, Sounds that like was the biggest name dropping.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's what I get for mixing in movie forty three lore. No, oh, honestly, that I
1: think story. I recall hearing about the serum run. Uh,
0: What's that?
3: Oh, the the diphtheria serum run. Yeah, yes.
0: Balto that happened. That was a thing.
3: Uh, it it did. It it they was. They did build
0: that statue. I saw that movie. At the end, they show the real statue. I was yep. Uh
3: As a matter I love of fact. The uh, I was going to say, I, we we actually have had Balto's story on this show before. I think it may have been as early as episode eight.
4: Wow. This is, this is
3: episode 90-something at least. So, uh, so we have revisited impressed. Balto. I just so can't so believe the Brits had that. a
0: dog named Steve.
3: That's that's honestly preposterous. Oh, it's hey, it's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> he,
0: was a,
3: he was a Cockney dog. You know, like that's not posh British. Steve. I would believe
1: Australian too, right? That's true. Good eye, Steve. Come
4: on, Steve.
3: oh he's a beauty (laughs) oh my god
4: well thank you guys for joining us tonight historians thank you everyone at home watching thank you please follow us on Instagram on Twitch, on Facebook, on YouTube pretty much everywhere we're there and we appreciate your support we'll see you next week, thank you
3: All right, you heard her come back
0: visit, we will teach you things and make you laugh see you next week